You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to the Here for the Truth podcast. My name is Joel. As always, I have my co-host Eurosimos with me. We are a podcast and educational platform dedicated to truth seekers and we're by truth seekers. Our intention is to provide you with resources dedicated to exploring the truth on topics such as self-knowledge, health, freedom, consciousness, and so much more. Today is no different. We have Jeremiah Timo with us, and we have a great conversation about breaking patterns, finding your own voice, and developing safety within relationships. Right before we bring Jeremiah on, round three of Rise Above the Herd dates have now been announced um, for our September run. So if that's something that interests you, you can head to riseaboveherd.com.au. We've had some incredible feedback from the people that have been through the course already, but everything that you need to discover, if that's the right fit for you, you can find at the website mentioned. Um, keyforthetruth.com is the home of all our episodes. We really appreciate the support from all you guys. Um, and uh, if you get the chance and if you... Want to continue to support us? Please like, review, and rate this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It really would go a long way for us. Um, without further ado, we'll bring on Jeremiah now. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 79 of Give the Truth podcast. We've got an amazing guest with you, with us always um, today. We have Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a transformational coach, poet, and podcast host. Previously, he came from the advertising world, helping clients and brands influence the behaviors of their ideal customers. It was through this that he began to realize that conscious thought is not actually in charge of our behaviors, and he began to realize the power of the unconscious. This ultimately led him through a journey of self-discovery in which he started applying his marketing observations to himself and began to realize how much of his own choices and decisions were a product of outside influences. From there, he began to write a new story that aligned with the vision he genuinely felt for himself and has transformed his life inside out. He currently works as a transformation coach, helping clients to do the same thing and to influence them on an unconscious level and reestablish safety in the body. He posts some amazing content on Instagram as well, and it's such a pleasure to have you here, man. Thank you so much for both of you having me and connecting me today. I'm going to be excited to speak with you both. Same here. Likewise, yeah, to begin this one, man, I'd really just like to get into your backstory a little bit. Um, we mentioned it briefly in the bio there, but yeah, what are some of the major rites of passages that really led you, I guess, to embodying and becoming the person that you are today? Yeah, yeah, um, great question. I would say the biggest one was I was born in Congo, and at that time, I was born in 94, and at, and in 1994, there was a Rwandan genocide taking place. Um, there was a whole, a whole movie based off of it, Hotel Rwanda. And my mom is Rwandanese. So that deeply impacted my whole family. That impacted how we lived because, you know, in Africa, they're not looking at you. They're not identifying who you are based on like your name and things. They're based on you based off genetics, right? So my mom can't just walk around and say, oh, no, I'm not with those guys. They're like, no, you have a long neck. You have a long nose, you, you know, so your face tells you who you are. So it's a very hostile, it was a very hostile situation for my family at that time. So that's why we left when I was five. But I didn't realize, you know, until a couple of years ago when I did some research into what happened um, from the time I was born to the time I left, 
uh, what happened in Congo and what happened in Rwanda. And in Congo, there were two two civil wars before I left. And in you know in Rwanda, there was a whole genocide taking place. So I would say that was one of my biggest rites of passage because I can't remember anything before seven. I say my life started at seven. And for me, that means that I experienced a lot of birth trauma, right? Mm-hmm. I came into an environment that was extremely hostile, extremely violent. There was a lot of death going on. There's a lot of, I would say, mistrust between tribes. There's a lot of betrayal happening. There's just a lot of confusion. And that's the environment I came into, right? That's the environment I was born into. So a lot of my memories are blocked out, but I then completely shifted from that environment to, let's say, a peaceful neighborhood in Portland, Oregon, where I'm being raised by two elderly white people that I've, I've never met anyone white. This is my first time encountering white people. And I'm six years old. Another white's a passage to where I'm just experiencing my first, let's say, culture shock. That's extremely, extremely difficult to cope with because the language is different. I'm learning something new and I'm a complete, I say, alien in this country now. And then from there, I switched. um, We switched and moved to Virginia and kind of the same thing again. Um, But another rest of passage was when I moved to Atlanta when I was about 14. And from there, that was a huge culture shock because I came from these um, areas and communities that were predominantly white. I was in schools where I was, you know, one of two other black people. And then I come to Atlanta, the dirty South, and there's mm, nothing dirty. There's nothing but people of color around me. There's all this diversity. And it's a complete culture shock because at that time of my life, I wasn't interacting with many people of color other than my own family. So it's kind of difficult to for me because I didn't realize that I didn't know essentially what it meant to be one of my own kind, like express myself, express my blackness, right? Express that aspect of myself. And that was a culture shock in itself because there was a lot of, um, I would say like a learning curve, right? So where I was like, how do I, how do I engage with my own people now? Like, how do I speak? Is this the right way? So I went through a lot of mistakes in a way. Um, but through that, I then realized there was another moment of, let's say, initiation when I was around like 17, 18, and I, my last year of high school, where I actually woke up. And what I woke up to was that I, my whole life, because of these shifts in environments, I didn't know who I really was. And I realized at that age, at that year, that my whole life I had been masking what's called masking. I just, what I, what I saw it as was kind of like shape-shifting. Whatever environment I was in, I would just kind of like shape myself into the form that I needed to be, let's say, digestible, appeasable, liked, popular, whatever it is. And in, you know, in schools, I was the popular kid, but I assumed the form of the popular kid. I would assume the form of the kid that the girls liked, the guy that was liked by everybody. And somehow I would mimic their mannerisms I would mimic how they dressed. I would mimic what they were into. And I would take on that form, right? And then I would wear that suit. Essentially, it was just like a tight suit I was wearing. And I didn't, it was only until I was 17, 18 that this suit actually felt tight. And I took it off. And throughout my whole senior year, I didn't care to put on any suit, any mask. I was just like, I don't care about this whole being cool thing anymore. I was just like, I don't know who I am. I've been doing this my whole life and I don't know who I am. Um... So what that led me to was when I was about 23 or so, I went through another, an essay initiation or awakening where my father wasn't in my life. Um, He passed away a little later after we left Africa, but I was raised by my uncle and he was one of those, you know, 
I would say textbook toxic masculinity. <laughs> if there was like a textbook and it was like listed out all of the qualities, he was that, right? So it was it was kind of this tyrant king energy that was very difficult to be around. Um, but I remember as a child making a promise to myself as a child, like, you know, you'll never become like that. And when I was about 23, I saw myself kind of embodying those same qualities, not really in, in externally, but it was the fact that the way he spoke to me was the way I was speaking to myself. The way he viewed me was the way I viewed myself. And that drastically woke me up. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. no, like if I keep this going, it won't be soon. It won't be long till I become like him. Right. And I spoke to speak to other people the same way he spoke to me. So that woke me up and started leading me to embody more of the qualities that I felt were, you know, masculinity. And I learned things about what masculinity was. And uh, in light of what you just shared earlier was um, I was in the marketing space and I started to really connect. I was a part of propaganda campaigns and things like that, just marketing campaigns to help, you know, brands target their ideal audience. And it was through that I was also seeing like, wow, um, a lot of what we think is our conscious thought really isn't our own. And I could see it because I was behind the scenes doing all these strategies, telling all these people to send this and do this and shape this. And it was dictating what people decided to do with their money, with their funds, with their time, their attention. And I was like, wow, this is really profound. And I just continued to follow that train of thought and uh, kind of explore myself. And then from there, um, started supporting people and doing that through online workshops and now my coaching program. Really cool, man. Uh, well, you mentioned propaganda and and uh, advertising. And I always, whenever I think about that, I just think of uh, the great Edward Bernays. And I'm okay. curious if you've come across him and you know his <laughs> posts have been shared so often. He's considered the father of public relations. And uh, anyways, it just made me think of it made me think of him at that at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, I mean, his work is amazing, especially when it comes to uh, some of the big political campaigns that come up, and he starts to kind of piece the things together about what what we're seeing in certain countries and how that's playing out, and how it's also a huge part of some huge campaign that nobody's aware of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, this is the shortened version of the quote, but again, yeah. it just, it's just so it's so powerful. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is a true ruling power of the country. Anyways, not to get political, but it just goes to show you like when you when you understand human psychology, when you understand the subconscious of individuals that, um, you know, the messaging that you provide for them can literally like puppets on a string, get them to do what you want them to do. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, exactly. So that was huge for me to just recognize. I was like, wait, 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 wait. And the puppets for me, it was like, you know, I can I can, I can expand to the government part, but I was like, let me just use with my friends, my my parents, my family. How are they doing a little puppeteer situation with myself? And I don't even know who's determining my actions right now. Yeah, so that was huge. So, like, how did you start to find your own voice in all that? Mm, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I actually I take more of an extreme approach with my own inner explorations. And for me, I remember around the time where I was like about 23, I did a lot of intense fasting and detoxing. Um, and at that time, I got um, word of this thing called breatharianism and things like that. 
at a time where I was in no capacity to understand what these people were talking about. But through that, I didn't understand the power of like giving the body a break, like, right, like being fueled by something else other than like physical food. And so from there, I did a lot of intense fasting. But I also realized, I think there's a powerful quote, I think it was from Saul Williams, where he talks about, you know, your diet isn't just what you eat. You know, he talks about it's your food, it's your um, your music you're listening to, the people you're talking to, the conversations you're having. So from there, I took that literally and fasted from music. I fasted from reading books. I fasted from all of this stuff because I then realized that my conscious attention was often going to, I would say, understanding somebody else's view of the world, right? So when I was reading books, my imagination, my voice was then going to trying to understand and grasp somebody else's opinion and view of the world. So I felt if I keep doing that, then I'm always behind. Because in my own mind, I would say that my own true mind was one that could keep up with reality at a pace that I couldn't even tell, right? Because reality is always moving, it's always shifting, it's alive, it's active, mm -hmm. right? So in every moment, something is changing about me. But if I'm reading about what somebody read or somebody wrote about their interpretation about me, right? The human being is... A, B, and C, right? That's still their own interpretation. That's still their own opinion and experience of being human. But then I take that literally and then I use it as an interpretation of myself. So I felt from there, I would always be behind who I really was, right? I couldn't keep up with who I was in those moments as I was shifting. So I said, in order to really find my voice, I just need to get a, a, a moment with it again, right? Because my whole life I had been consuming everyone else's voices, right? Even as I got older and started reading more books, I was like, I'm still doing it. Right. And then I started observing nature and I realized, you know, animals give birth all of the time. Nobody, there's no gynecologist in nature. You know, there's no, you know, there's no doula, <laughs> but they just know. And um, even the trees and the plants. And I was like, wait, there's a, that's why I would call it, that's why I call it the true mind. Cause I was like, there's a mind here. There's an intelligence here that is actually ingrained into me that can actually uh, uh, essentially give me or point me to a deeper uh, blueprint for myself. Right. In terms of transformation, what do I want to do with my life, my mission? Like, what am I here to do with my gifts? Right. So I, I took an extreme approach to clearing out the voices by detoxing from music, from uh, media, from, you know, books, all of those for about a year or so. Um, so I didn't read anything. I didn't listen to any music other than like, you know, some sound bowls or vinyl beats. Um, but from those experiences and deep meditations, I actually learned to hear my own voice. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. The, the, the temptations to hear other people's opinion, to consume other people's insights through literature and things like that was very tempting. Um, but through that, I found my own voice. And, and from there, I've been using that voice as my compass. And sometimes I know when I'm confused, I'm just, I'm just absorbing somebody else's voice other than my own, right? So in the states that I'm confused, I can't differentiate between my voice and somebody else's. So now I have a, I would say that's like a very clear compass that I use all of the time now. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that a lot, man, for sure. Um, you know, we consume so much content from the moment we wake up, we're looking at our phones to, you know, then jumping on the next thing that we're doing. Um, and it's, it's very difficult. And, but I guess that form of detoxing from other media is almost like turning decibels up on yourself, so to speak, you know, I love that. Yeah. And even like, even when it comes to like reading books as well, like I'm a lover of knowledge. I love to read, but I can definitely find that once I've finished and become absorbed in a certain author, I do adopt their voice mm -hmm. in, a, in a much stronger and profound way. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a while for, for my 
for I guess the essence of who I am to become integrated with the knowledge I've learned as opposed to just viewing everything through the lens of what I've just read now, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a dance with that. You know, there is this dance of being influenced externally. And it's like, I, we always bring up, was it that lemon escape with the infinity? It's like yep. things come in and then they come back out in and out. And there's always this dance between the, I don't know, what you call esoteric and exoteric, you know, the yeah. internal and external. And, and that's what I appreciate. But I, I love what you said before about, bringing fasting to just a greater like a a greater sphere because most people you think of fasting they're like well i'm not going to be eating this food today (laughs) you know but i mean you you hit on something that's so huge and only when you understand the power of the subconscious and the power of programming out there you realize like just because your conscious mind isn't picking up on every single lyric your subconscious is yes yes, and and it's wild to think like there's times where like I'll be in my car and I'll like be pumping some of the old school tracks I used to listen to. And I'm listening, I'm listening. I'm like, fuck, these lyrics are fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 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 I mean, like these beats are so good, but I'm like the shit they're talking about, like, especially some of the old school nineties hip hop and how they treat women and this and that. I'm like, I'm listening to it. And there's that part of me that's like the nostalgia and I'm, I'm, I'm really digging it and I'm loving it. And then there's other part of me that kind of feels icky. You know, it's just like, this doesn't feel aligned with who I am right now. And so I find that such an interesting dance when you go on an evolutionary transformational process is like, like, oh, wait, the the previous incarnation or version of me was into this. And now I'm like, oh, this isn't really for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I completely agree. Even um, even in terms of like lyrics and music, I would say like, you know, there was still an enjoyment. But I think even the power in that, like, you know, going through that exploration, going through that deep discovery, I think it's kind of similar to what people do when they find out like the word good morning means like you're mourning the death of somebody, right? And they're completely like, oh, my God, I can't say good morning anymore. And as for this is just my own personal experience. I don't think that what it's meant to do is like when you understand like how not to cast spells on yourself and those you love and those people around you, you then have a conscious relationship with the word itself now. So now you have a responsibility to imbue it with intention, right? Mm-hmm. When I say good morning, let me make sure I'm not in a you know depressed mm-hmm. state or I'm I'm not sad, then I'm giving life to that meaning that was intended, right? From let's say another collective of people. Now for myself, I'm going to imbue that with love, intention, joy, and like excitement. Good morning, brother. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean I have to abandon the word. It doesn't mean I have to dismiss it and replace it with something like, you know, a grand rising. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that was was literally the first thing I was thinking of the whole time, man. (laughs) Hey, man, people that use Google, it's not not for me, dude. (laughs) It's not for me either. But I was one of those guys. I can't, I can't. I was one of the people. So, but I realized I was like, wait, I don't have to throw the word out. There's nothing wrong with the word. It's about the intention behind it. So even in, you know, when I came back to music, when I came back to books, when I came back to conversations with people that, you know, maybe conversations weren't that powerful or depth deep. I I just realized like, oh my God, it's, it's again, it's just the same with the word grand rising or good morning. I have to imbue this moment with as much intention, joy, excitement, depth that I can with within my own capacities, right? So even when I listen to, you know, old hip hop, I'm like, I'm going to, let me just put myself in an exuberant state and still feel that vibration yeah. of excitement and love, okay. you know, that that that's still there, even if it's, you know, distorted a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. still there, you know, and I can find that, you know, so yeah. I got so yeah, many man. tracks running through my head right now, but anyway. <laughs> it's, it's definitely the, the, the energy that matters, you know, and, um, people can get so hardcore trying to cut out 
everything that they now see as some as involved in some level of corruption or whatever it might be, and then try to mm. cater their lives. And but really, what are you doing? You're living out of a state of fear. You're trying yes, to avoid yes. trying to yes. avoid everything, as opposed to recognizing the inherent power within you to shift it based on who you are. So I want yeah. to ask you, like, how yeah. do you go about building intention for yourself? You know, and becoming more intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love what you said, man. I love what you said. Uh, just the the power of recognizing our own power through that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with intention for myself, I think I think I remember one of my friends asking me. I remember I was telling him something about how I left Airbnbs. And I was like, you know, every time I leave an Airbnb, like I want to make sure I left it better than I found it. Right. So my Airbnb ratings are like, <laughs> I, love that. I feel like off the charts, but that, that was very important to me. And I didn't realize until I was having that conversation with him, I was like, wait, 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 that's how I live my life. Ever since I came into some of this work, I realized that's how I started to live my life was that every place that I went to, you know, I always made sure I left it better than I found it. And even, even in the kitchen, from a small example with my partner, like if I'm in the kitchen cooking and she's upstairs chilling, I make sure before I leave the kitchen, it was better than I found it. Even if I cooked and did a whole thing, I, that's my intention. So with that, I realized that I was carrying this intention into everyone I met as well. You know, I was seeing people as places, right? And I was saying, yo, if I met this person today, right? And they were a place, they were a location, right? They were a city. Like, did I leave them better than I found them? So for me, that's like my place of intention. Uh, that, that's like my source of intention throughout each moment, throughout each interaction. I'm making sure the space that I'm living in or the space or the people I'm communicating with, I'm leaving them better than I found them because what's happening for me is then it's bringing different layers of intention, right? How am I speaking to them, right? How am I talking to them? Am I being mindful of like, you know, how my energy is, um, is, is what, what energy am I giving off when I talk to them, when I engage with them or the space I'm interacting with? So I feel from, from just from that intention itself, it's expanded to a greater sphere and includes my own life. You know, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like my life here, this earth here that I'm a part of, right? This relationship with all of humanity that I'm a part of, how am I leaving it? You know, so that's that small intention itself is like expanded, you know, more into my work that I do now. Um, but it's all it all comes back to that point that I mentioned earlier is, you know, how am I leaving the place that I've just visited? You know. So I feel every conversation I have with Joel, I just want to leave him better than I found him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if it's working, bro. <laughs> bro, that's I, I love that man, and we take it for granted, you know. Yeah. But the fact that we're alive, we're living, and we have this opportunity in every single interaction to give value and to provide an essence of who we are and enhance something in some way through intentional effort. Yeah. And so many people just instead of auto-hypnosis cruising, just going through the mundane interactions of their lives, when you really begin to plant that seed and do things intentionally, like life, life, life is incredible. There's no need to rush through anything. There's no need yeah. to rush to the finish line whatsoever, you know, because there's something monumental that we're here to to add value to and to create and to build upon. Um, that's it's, it's an amazing process. Yeah, I completely agree. I would mean, yeah, I always show up, but it's the intention for sure. I would say my partner would be in this conversation like, mm, he doesn't always leave you better. I mean, we're human at the end of the day. You know? I mean, we, we were but that's human. The baseline. Like, 
Yeah, yeah that's the baseline. And, it, and it's the intention. Like, even the intention of wanting to show up that way doesn't mean you're always going to. You exactly. Know what I mean? Exactly. So it's that grace, you know, you got to extend yourself, you know, for sure. For sure, man. Um, I'd like to shift and talk a little bit about um, your work in, 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 in relationships and I guess how you've kind yeah. of began to apply this knowledge into enhancing the, the quality of relationships and seeing things a bit differently. Yeah, yeah. The real, uh, some of the things I've already shared just about my own experience, it did bring me to some very, very deep shadows. And especially when I was kind of doing this fasting, I was doing a lot of, a lot of detoxing. And I would say in that detoxing, I went to a space of isolation that I would say, you know, I don't recommend to a lot of people. But in that space of isolation, I did discover a lot of shadows that were looking, looking that weren't being addressed by me, right? And then they were also playing out on my relationships. So now my work is about doing the work on myself, but also is supporting uh, people in their relationships on about addressing these parts of themselves that, you know, we talked about earlier. It's kind of like a little puppeteer, right? There's, there's, there's a puppeteer happening that's shaping how people show up in relationships, right? That's determining uh, gender norms or cultural norms or all these different things, but are dictating the level of intimacy people experience between each other. Right? They don't realize it's capped. And it's not them that's consciously choosing to cap it at that point. It's all of these other, let's say, unconscious things working in the background that's actually capping the relationship itself. And that's our trauma. That's you know our own shadows. That's our own cultural norms and expectations that are projected onto us that then we then carry into our relationships, right? That form our agreements, that form how we show up, right? So I think from, from there, my own shadows is the ones that helping other people uncover. Mm -hmm. And I think for me a lot, and I only, I, I'll focus on the masculinity part, but for me, there was a lot of, you know, masculine shadows that I found in myself that have a lot to do with my own personal trauma. But then there's a cultural trauma that I experienced as a man in this world under a specific system that doesn't really support a, let's say, a sacred embodiment, right? And then there's kind of like a spiritual trauma that I have in relation to just being so disconnected from what I would see as like um, a motherly, godly presence, right? Let's say a goddess, uh, a feminine essence that's you know revered as a goddess. I have a disconnection to that because I'm never told about her existence, right? And then I'm not told how to form a connection with that. So there's a spiritual wounding that I've you know uncovered for myself. And I think I listen to one of the podcasts that you guys had, it was a clip on your Instagram. And there was a guy, I think his name was Michael or something, but he mentioned the power of circumcision in, I would say, reprogramming the mind or making uh, people, I don't remember exactly, I may be paraphrasing, but he was talking about circumcision yep. mm -hmm. and yes. how that wounding affects men, right? He was talking about this kind of fight response that we can't really express because we're kind of chained up in a way. And that I, I really, I'm glad I found that piece because it did send me more into some of the things that I'm talking about today. And, um, and I would say that, that the piece that he was talking about is a sort of cultural trauma that men as men we experience, but also dictates how we view women and is not really spoken about, you know, yeah. so. I, I, it's, while you were talking, when you started talking, I was like, oh, I, I'm going to bring up the topic of circumcision. And then you just started chatting about it. I, I think you I think he was the video with Seth yep Seth, um, Seth yeah. and, and he actually has one of the best articles 
that I've read on porn addiction and correlating it to um, circumcision as well. And also like this potential unconscious hatred of the feminine because we weren't protected by the, let's say the mother, the divine mother, whatever you want to say, you know, but, but literally by your mother. And so, you know, circumcision is just like a subject that I've spoken about um, more so in the past and just started up again too, because I think it's really important. Like here we are, we're three men, we're talking about this. Uh, obviously like uh, I'll, I'll speak for myself. That's something that happened to me. And it's, the fact that like culturally it's like, oh no, it's not a big deal. Yeah. 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 It is such a big deal. And I think it's so important for people to shine a light on it because it does impact your relationship to self relationship to other. Um, and, and it impacts you at the deepest levels. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. It's impacting how I'm doing a lot of the work that I'm doing now. A lot of the work I'm speaking to, um, in, in regards to working with men, because I'm able to kind of, I would say, again, coming back to the marketing, I'm able to see all these unconscious movements that are determining how men show up today, right? In their relationships, in their relationship to their own anatomy, essentially, as well, right? And that, and, and, and their relationship to the feminine, right? Whichever, whoever their partner is, it, it, it really, really determines a lot of things and shapes, you know, uh, I would say our embodiment. Even what I mentioned earlier is it caps that level of intimacy, because if I don't see Right. If I don't see that there's a deep wounding here that I've never addressed, and I'm also not allowed to express by my culture, like my culture doesn't allow me to have that conversation with myself, with my brothers, my sisters, my mothers. Then again, I'm capped, but there's an invisible like wall here. Right. And I can't see what is it causing me. Like as men, if we were having a conversation collectively, we couldn't visibly see what was leading us to embody a certain expression of masculinity. Right. Because none of these are, again, essentially these these types of situations, right? These traumas are normalized, right? So if something is normalized, then we're also desensitized to the pain that it causes us as a collective. So yeah, I'm so happy I I, I caught that video. It really yeah. impacted a lot for me and changed a lot of things. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and yeah, and 100%, man. It's like it's not just an, an issue for us to talk about because it's yeah. it's a practice that impacts everyone it impacts society impacts the women in our lives so yeah. um yeah man I, I i i advocate anyone who continues to um, talk about this uh, especially in this context so yeah. Cool. yeah 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 cool man so um how do we begin to i guess develop a healthier relationship with with with, with, with the feminine from there yeah yeah i would say for me it's been important to first I would say stabilize. And what I mean by stabilize is understand that there is a child, a teenager that is within you that is very, if it has been able to express it, angry, rage, feeling rage, and sometimes a very deep level of sadness, right? From the first relationship they had with the feminine, right? Which was the mother. Okay. And that dictates a lot of things. It shapes a man in a lot of different ways because that's his first encounter with a woman, right? So then that's where he learns how a woman wants to be treated, how to speak to a woman, right? How to love a woman, how he's going to receive the love of a woman and where the limitations are, right? He first understands dynamics, how to engage with a woman, things like that, right? So depending on each of our relationships, that really determines the trajectory of our relationships with the feminine in our life. Right. And then there's a father dynamic that comes in where how he spoke to her, how he treated her also shapes how we view or of what it's acceptable. Right. But 
a lot of just that relationship itself determines the trajectory of who we find ourselves attracted to, right? If there were things that were, I would say, unreconciled, right? The rage that I feel, the sadness that I feel, the lack of protection that was there, that was unreconciled. Then I then later manifest that in my later life as a part of me trying to reconcile what took place, right? So there's a kind of um, a, a duplication of the aspects of my mother that I then find in women, not because I'm attracted to them. There might be that level of attraction there, but on a deeper level, I'm trying to reconcile with the things that I couldn't reconcile as a child. So that's what I mean by stabilizing. When we recognize something, we stabilize the charge we have to that relationship, the anger, the rage, you know, the sadness, we stabilize, we, we neutralize it, right? And then from there, I can act a conscious relationship with my own shit, right? The own, my own things that I then brought out of that relationship, you know, that carried over into my current relationships. I then have a conscious relationship with them. So I'm like, oh, I know when somebody says this, this brings up that for me because this happened for me constantly in my relationship with my mother, right? So I have a conscious relationship with that. So then I can choose, I can make a conscious decision. It's not automatic anymore. It's not faster than I can catch it. It's I can actually choose okay, I'm not going to react in that way. I'm going to find a healthier way to approach the situation, right? I'm going to find a way to, um, I'm going to find a healthier way to get my needs met in this moment, right? So through that, I find that it actually widens the gap between stimulus and response. Mm. Like there's an actual gap that's formed and says, okay, I'm stimulated in this way, but I can have a awareness about where this is coming from, especially triggers. Like, you know, they're, they're not just present in the moment. They're surfacing from something deeper, for them to charge us up in such a way. So I think as men, when we have a conscious relationship with a wounding that we experience, you know, in relation to our mothers, then that definitely starts to uh, show up in how we relate to the feminine today, you know, and we can show up in ways that we can really be proud of. Like, oh, I love the way I'm showing up here. Like, I'm, you know, really happy about this relationship where, you know, I can really feel my partner feels safe and you know feels loved by me i'm not holding anything i'm not carrying the past into this present experience you know i think we can develop a level of like confidence and trust in ourselves as well but i would say that would be the the, the first and most important one yeah man i think uh you hit the nail on the head i think it's so it's so important to really look back and 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 reflect on our our first relationships with our parents you know and then observing how they were with one another it's yes. like the um the typical example, even of like the mama's boy who, who then, who wants to find the woman who's just, dude, I mean, me too, bro. Me too. We got three recovering mama's boys in here, you know? Uh, and it's just like, it's like, who just like, like, oh, my mom, I had old school Greek mom, man. My mom was just like oh, wow. there, like taking care of me and, and cooking and cleaning. And it's just like, on some level, I wanted that level of nurturance um from my partners and i wanted like my needs met all times and my needs were the most important you know it was like mm -hmm. a little slightly narcissistic at some times you know but um but the the other thing too i want to i want to say it was a huge thing for me is you know also having a greek father who was very like i am the man i have the answers i know you don't know you know like the man mm -hmm. knows the woman don't know you know it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. i i i remember like um like in my twenties and some of my relationships, man, like I like shushed. I was just like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, you know? Yeah, and I was like, yeah, and at same, that point same. I didn't really know. And then I went home for dinner one day. I was living in New York city. I went home. My parents were living in Jersey. I went home for dinner and we were having a conversation. My mom went to say something and my dad just kind of like put his hand up and was kind of like, like, shh, like, yeah. and then I went, Oh fuck. 
I yeah. do that. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. like that that light bulb of awareness is the beginning, you know, and then what happens is you put in that situation again, and then you build that, you build a little bit more of like the window of tolerance, I guess. I mean, yeah. I guess that has to do with your nervous system, but even just by having this awareness where it's like, oh, my partner now will say a thing and then my old habit would be like, you know what the fuck you're talking yeah. about yeah. and be like, okay, take a deep breath, just chill and be like, she has a right to express her needs, express her voice, et cetera. And so that is that that process, you know, it, it kind of takes time of unwinding those old pathways of behavior and then kind of building the new ones. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And it takes a lot of courage even for yourself to just even recognize like, whoa, I do this. Like That's a huge, huge moment of courage. And I think that's like like the first. It's like, OK, it, it have is. courage to see it, have courage to see it. And then the rest, I think, always follows after. But an individual has to have that commitment to truth. And it starts internally. You yeah. know what I mean? Like your inner truth who you are like, yeah, with this podcast called here for the truth. And we love having these conversations, but at the end of the day, man, like, who are you? Like, why are we the way we are? Like yeah. people don't even want, there's so many people who don't even want to think their parents did anything like, and my parents are perfect. Everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, it, it doesn't mean like they're not maybe good people, but they're also human. And yeah. so if you can take the data and be like, okay, cool. I'll take those elements that were really positive. But then these elements are things that aren't serving me right now, because let's say I'm attracting the same relationship over and over again, and they're coming into my life to teach me the same lesson. And am I going to listen or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge, huge, huge. My level of responsibility, like, okay, there's something here for me to look at. Yeah. And I can choose to take responsibility. I can pretend like it's not really here. Yeah. Or ra rationalize and justify behavior, which yeah. people love because the, it's too painful to come to, to sit with the truth of like, hey, I, I hurt someone or I may have wronged someone or, you know, fuck, like I was an asshole, you know, mm -hmm. like that was insensitive of me to say, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that that takes a lot, man. It's not always easy. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, brother. I was just going to say, I don't know where that is. Yeah. It's tough, it's tough, it's tough. Well, what you mentioned there, your Erasmus, was a huge one for me because like we're raised like thinking that we can't question the moral code and our parents are infallible because we have to be so incredibly grateful for everything that initially piercing the veil of seeing them in their humanness. Um, it take, take, takes a lot of effort, but from there, you, the, I guess the flow of the dam begins to trickle and you can see things a little bit more clearly. Um, so is there benefit in like you mentioned that like building a relationship with like the, I guess, the, the the goddess or the ideal to begin to, I guess, enter into some kind of dynamic with what, you know, what, what the true embodiment of the feminine is? Like, have you found that of benefit? Yeah, I've found it tremendously beneficial. Um, I've had some very interesting explorations um, into what would be seen as the divine feminine mm -hmm. um, through my own mystical and spiritual journeys um but from what i've discovered i formed a i found was actually very important for me because what i talked about earlier is about there's a spiritual wounding yeah uh, due to the lack of this divine mother presence that we never hear about we just hear about a tyrant god in the sky with a long beard and just pointing fingers at everybody and judging <laughs> just waiting to hit the hell button <laughs> so, the hell button. i like that 
<laughs> so there's that creates a wounding of like, where's that divine mother nurturing energy? Like, can I get some of that? Like, I, I'm messing up here. Like, I'm, I'm sitting like, you know what I'm saying? Like, can I get some level of acceptance and love? So for me, it was important to actually explore what that was. Like, what, what does that love feel like? You know, what does it feel to be in the arms of what would be seen as a divine mother? And from that, that brought me connected to some Indian deities. Uh, one was uh, Mama Kali, uh, Kali Ma, that's seen with this very fierce uh, fierce love is what I would call it, but I found a deep relationship and I still have with, 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 with that energy. And that actually held me in a lot of deep, dark things that I was going through, like that were very difficult to accept about myself. But I say that to say is that when I engaged with this energy, each time I engage with this energy, I discover more about what it, what the feminine really is, because I'm seeing her, let's say if this divine feminine energy that I'm in, engaging with is the mother, mother Kali, I'm seeing it in its magnitude. I'm seeing it in its wild expression. I'm seeing it in its un untamable. There's no way I can tame this energy. I'm in contact with it, but I'm being mothered. I'm being loved. I'm being appreciated. I'm being accepted. I'm being held. So from there, I get, I would say, a glimpse of what it really means to engage with a woman. And then from there, I learned, I would say, my own role and position in relationships to the feminine and what it means like we usually see it as you know protecting and providing but i would say from that engagement like with this what i would see as the magnitude of who she is right beneath all of the conditioning beneath even the human skin like what she really is right i then learned what it really means to provide and protect because i didn't really know what i would be providing and protecting for unless I really went to the depths of what she is, right? Unless I really discovered her beyond her humanness, then I really know what my role is. And then from that, I really figured out, like, what does it really mean for me to provide and protect in this relationship? Like, what am I protecting here, mm -hmm. right? But that required me because I feel like, you know, when we're miseducated about masculinity, that first has to happen, what first has to happen is we're miseducated about what femininity is, right? And then we learn, okay, this is what means to be masculine then because we're learning our counterpart. So I felt like for me, even to find out what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be masculine, I had to first see what is it, what is the feminine about? And I think that's why, you know, in, in biblical scriptures and, you know, every, every department of society, there is a miseducation on what women are. You know, what is the feminine? How do they express themselves, right? From every story you find, there's a level of miseducation. And we know it's a miseducation because the people that are telling the story aren't actually women, right? It's a group of powerful men. So there's already a level of, okay, you're missing, you're missing something here, right? Something is definitely taken out. Something is being rewritten on some level. So for me, it was important to actually educate myself on what that energy really is. And then from there, I found out how I can show up for myself and how I can show up for her. Um, so if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I guess... The next question is, what were some of the answers that you came to, that you came to? How, how yeah. do you provide and protect? Yeah, so um, it really, it was, it was a difficult thing to experience. I would say it brought me to a place of inadequacy because in relating to the feminine on such a level, it brought me to the reasons why the scriptures don't speak of her in the way that she really is, Right why the witches were burned, why the doulas are controlled, why, you know, there are male gynecologists and not female gynecologists. There's all these kind of, hey, what is this? 
What is the intent, right? And there's an intent to control. But why is that, right? We only control what we fear. So why is there a fear mm. of the feminine then? Like, why are we trying to control her? Okay, let me remove the, oh, no, we need to dominate her. We're more logical. Like, no, there's definitely some fear here. So for me, when I explored it to those depths, I actually found the part of myself that was afraid. So I found the part of myself that I was actually afraid of her magnitude, her energy, the part of her that is an ocean and is untamable. It's completely wild in all of its essence. And I literally was afraid. I felt inadequate. I just felt like, how can I ever show up beside you? So for me, at times, I, it brought me... So the deeper I went into it, I found that there's actually my own responsibility, my own role to play in relation to that. And that is essentially understanding like women in, in, in relationships, they do want to be claimed. There's all these notions about like claiming a woman, taking a woman to be your own. But beneath it, there's a purity to that. There is an actual essence to it that is important and has been here for years. And women understand it innately, right? And I think the best example has been one Teal Swan gave where she said that, you know, a man needs to provide masculine containment. And that masculine containment is understanding that a woman is essentially a pearl. But that pearl needs a shell to exist in, right? So that shell contains it, but allows that pearl to be free, to be open, to grow, and to remain beautiful. But without that shell, right? Without that shell, it cannot be the pearl. It can't express itself in the way that it wants to express itself. So for me, it was through that journey, I found the power of being that shell and being that container and realizing that there was a yearning from this, I would say this huge divine feminine energy that longed for that for me, that needed that for me as much as I needed all of the things that she was giving me. And then from there, I found my own role, my power in that. And um, yeah. I'm curious, um, obviously, you know, as men, we have our role you know, in terms of the work that we need to do to be able to be that masculine container. But like, what are your thoughts around even on the feminine side of things? Because it's like, there's all this talk oh, toxic masculinity. And my opinion is like, you know, behavior is toxic. Masculinity is masculinity. Femininity exactly. is femininity. And yet, you know, there's toxic, I put it in quotes, femininity. And mm -hmm. masculine, you know, the, the toxic behavior coming from men is a little bit more overt Whereas with women, it's, it's not, it's more covert. Yeah, and yeah. so like, if you work with couples, if you work with women as well, like, you know, like, yeah, like at the, at the core a woman's a pearl, you can say, but like people have gone through trauma and people have like toxic behavior. They're like, there's like shitty human beings out there, you know? Yeah. So it sounds great in theory, but like, how do you, how do you navigate that? Like, how do, how do you navigate that with women? uh as well like it's like yo yo you need to fix you need to fix yourself too you know what i'm saying this ain't all on us <laughs> i completely agree i completely agree because you know in the pearl it's it's their essence but people show up very differently from that essence you know what i'm saying a lot of people are removed from that essence right i have no connection to it at all and um for me even when i'm working with people it's it's more about like who am i working with you know, because at times I would say, even for me, like, you know, coming to this place, I know for me, like, not not everyone is deserving of, of let's say, that containment, right? That part of me that's like, oh, I'm going to show up in my masculine, like, whatever you need, like, not everyone is worth that. Not mm -hmm. everyone is worth that level of attention, time, and energy, right? 
And that's a level of, I would say, even as a masculine, is a level of respecting my own self, like respecting my own love, respecting my own um, energy and time and knowing that it's precious. And, and not discerning, you're discerning, you know, discerning. discerning and discerning. Like not everybody can meet me there, right? I can see you in your essence, like you're a pearl girl. But she's like, nah, I'm showing up in this way. And I'm like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's it some old rock that I saw that I found. <laughs> <in the screen. laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Medusa. <laughs> I like to make jokes. So it's like I, I, having that discernment of like, okay, who 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 can actually who can actually go there? Who can actually yeah, yeah, understand exactly. those apps? And like you said, not all women can go there. You know, they had their own trauma, they have their own things, they have the things that have like built on top of, let's say, that pearl. You know, yeah. and it it's covering it. They can't even see it themselves, and sure. I can't. You know, and yeah, I mean, like, same thing for us. Like, I mean, it's not like I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm, I'm like this perfect, amazing, smooth clamshell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, I got some ragged edges, jagged edges, and things that I, I'm still trying to smooth out. And but you know, yeah. that's where the work. Yeah. This is where the inner work comes from, man. Yeah, yeah. On so both definitely, parties. Definitely, definitely discernment. Definitely discernment. Cool. Yeah. So, um, you talk a lot about, I guess, developing um, emotional safety within within relationships what, what what's the importance of safety first and foremost and i guess how do we build upon it from there yeah emotional safety even just safety itself um it's it's not just a concept in relationships it's a biological necessity you know anytime we look at nature anytime we look at animals like it's important uh, how, we can see how how essential uh, safety is to our well-being and we can also look back in our experiences where we felt really troubled or we felt really abused or we felt let's say just uncomfortable there was always an absence of what safety mm-hmm. so and then that led us to do certain things that led us to develop certain behaviors and even personalities due to that lack of safety right so for, for me i've developed perfectionism mm. and perfection is a way for me to cope with the lack of safety of making mistakes right there wasn't there, there wasn't an environment of safety in my childhood home to where I could mess up, to where I could drop something, to where I could break something, to where I could oversleep and miss a day of school. There wasn't a level of safety for me to make those decisions, right? To make those uninformed decisions. So from there, I then developed perfectionism. So what I mean is that, you know, in anything we look at, you know, for ourselves and our life that are challenges or things that we struggle with that carried over from childhood, at the baseline of it, there was an absence of safety in those moments, in those situations. So I think it's important in our relationships because when we're, you know, doing the work, when we're healing and we want to really bring the best versions of ourselves through, we then have to first establish a baseline of safety with ourselves and also with those around us. Mm -hmm. Because when that level of safety isn't there, what's happening is that on a nervous system level, we're constantly perceiving threats, right? We're saying like, oh, this person is going to do this thing that I remember that other person that said this did, right? Or that other person that showed me love and affection this way did. Right. And that could mean betrayal, abandonment, rejection, whatever it is. Right. So what's happening is that in our relationships, we actually are just protecting ourselves the whole time. Right. All of our creative energy, that creative energy that could be spent connecting with the person is actually going to protecting ourselves. So this is, again, that point of the connection is capped. The intimacy is capped, depending on how that depending on what degree that person is protecting themselves and the degree I'm protecting myself determines where the relationship is going to go, right? But what I'm saying is that these responses are automatic because nobody is seeing that there's an absence of safety here. The way you communicate me, I doesn't make me feel safe, right? The way you 
hug me, the way you, you know, tell me I trust you or, you know, you, you cook meals for me at night. I don't, it really feel loved. Right. So all of that is bringing up all the kind of protective mechanisms, right. Protecting myself from a pain or a threat that I'm anticipating right now in this moment. So I think it's, it's, it's important because when that safety is there and there's, I would say three rounds of safety and that's emotional, physical, and commitment. And when those are there, because they inter, they're interlinked, they play on each other. And when those are there, I'd say you find the best versions of ourselves actually feeling room to breathe, to say, oh, I can like come out, I can express myself because they're granted permission by the level of safety that's in, in the situation, that's in the relationship, you know? So I think, I, think it's, I think it's really huge. And I think at, at times we direct that conversation more towards women, right? And it's like, oh, women need safety, you know? And I think it's, that's why I said it's a human necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, men, it's also important for men to understand that, wait, I need to feel safe. Like the way this girl talks to me isn't really respectful, right? She's speaking her truth, whatever. She's got the safety to speak her truth, but it's not respectful, right? It's making me feel unsafe. How can I respond in this moment from the best self, my best self, when I don't have that safety to really be heard, right? To really be, let's say, criticized or challenged, right? If I don't feel that level of safety as well. So I think it's, you know, on both parts, sometimes we do emphasize the men's part, but I think it's equally as valuable when a woman can take the time to actually provide a container for a man to feel safe to be himself in. Yeah. I like that you said that because I feel like in some polarity teachings, it's like the man must be the lighthouse as the the crazy, chaotic, you know, feminine and it's like it's almost like oh well, no it's an excuse to to be toxic you know to like oh mm-hmm. i they, they oh no it doesn't matter she can be however she wants i have to be i have to be this strong male no matter what and it's mm-hmm. like you're getting abused mm-hmm. and you're getting treated like poorly and and like i'm supposed to be okay with that because i'm supposed to be that lighthouse no matter what yeah, like that's yeah. at some point there's got to be like no 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 like i ain't this 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 i will not tolerate this behavior yeah you know, exactly, setting a strong exactly. boundary Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I love that you said that. I think in a lot of the polarity teachings, there is a huge emphasis on men's responsibility in that. And I think there should be equal focus on women also being safe to men. You know, it's important. Yeah. And and the, the, the need for a man to feel safe of just like, you know, healing their wounds and healing their trauma exactly. is going to allow them to, to be that masculine containment, yeah. allow yeah. them to, to hold the space and to be able to to, to be with a woman's vulnerability because they deeply know that within themselves, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. So it's like, well, I know that I, I see that and I, I can hold space for it within myself. So that means I can hold it for you. And, and I find historic, you know, in my history and, and different types of healing work and work is that the people who don't know how to be with you when you're not acting how, you know, they expect you to act. It's because they, they don't know those parts of themselves. You know, mm-hmm. they they it's they can't. Triggering. It's just like you're just triggering a reality within themselves that they don't even know. They don't even know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely and, and agree that, And that could be challenging. So, yeah. I found that the more I've done my own work, I'm just a better person. I'm a better husband. You know, like not that I'm perfect. And if my wife was on here too, she'd probably be like, "All right, all right," you know. But but it's true, you know, like it, it's not about a lot of times it's not about me trying to fix all of your problems. It's just me sitting there and shutting the fuck up and 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 holding space. And that's all she needs. She doesn't need me to to tell her the right thing. You know, she just needs to feel the energy that that, again, I am the, that clamshell 
that's that's protecting that that pearl you know yeah. i'm gonna just use that analogy now, now i'm gonna steal <laughs> it like yo jeremiah yo said this really cool analogy yeah i stole it from phil swan i stole it from phil swan do you think um it's easier and more difficult to go through it like a safety healing process together i would say it, it depends on the trauma. It depends on the trauma sometimes, but it depends on the people. Like we talked about earlier, it does take some deep, deep courage. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes some deep, deep commitment to say, yo, I'm like really tired of showing up in this toxic way. Like I'm really tired of avoiding my shit. Like I really, really want to see my shit. Like I really want to take accountability. I really want to grow with you. You know, and I think that is that is the determining factor, you know, and sometimes there's only one person with that level of commitment. And that shows, you know, but when it's two people, man, I think there's really a deep transformation. And my, my relationship is to that because I think I, I thought I did a lot of work when I was entering my relationship and three months in, I'm like, holy shit, what is all this stuff that's coming up? Right. But it was, I had, even before I met her, I did, a I had a, like a deep commitment to where like, man, whatever I see about myself, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to meet it with like acceptance. Like I'm going to tackle it. I'm going to, I, I developed, I'm, I would say courage was something I really cultivated. That level of courage, I really cultivated it. And my partner had done the same thing in her own solitude. So when we came together, there was shit that came up, you know, and it was difficult to see, you know, and there's still shit coming up that is difficult to see, but it's that we had that baseline unwavering commitment to, yo, whatever comes up, no matter how long we have to work on it, to to heal it, to move it, transmute it, whatever it is, like, we're going to do it. You know what I'm saying? And that was, I think that was, that's commitment. That, that was a commitment, you know? And that was the determining factor of whether our relationship turned into something that we had already saw before, whether it evolved into what it is now, which is something I've never seen for myself and she's never seen for herself either. So I think it is that, that commitment uh, that really shapes and determines, you know, where two people stand and where the trajectory of the relationship goes. People pay lip service to that word, but what it really means is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, yo, I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be in, in the fire with you. Uh, yeah. I'm going to rise like the Phoenix. You're going to rise like the Phoenix. And we're yeah. just going to, you know, come out of this deeper, more connected. And uh, because it's like this idea, like, oh, those relationships going to be perfect forever. You know I mean? This shit, if you're into personal, if you're into like growing and evolving, man, like you're just going to be like, aha, aha. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. it's just, it's and never then, ending, man. Never ending. You'll have, then you'll have kids. You'll be like, oh, shit. <laughs> I, I don't know what that's <laughs> like, but I can only imagine. It really is. Wait, you have kids? I got two daughters, yeah. Oh, two daughters, bro. So you you know how it hits. I, I haven't met, I haven't gone there yet, but I know there's a whole different awakening that happens from there. So I completely, completely, um, yeah, it's a different, it's a different experience. Yeah, there, there is men. I often say I feel like there's you know the the, the shadows which will never be uncovered until you walk that path, until you actually uh, you know, go go through that process. Um, you know, Erasmus has twelve chickens. He can relate a little bit. Listen, I have a dog, <laughs> and I got twelve chickens, and um, a whole bunch of bees as well. So you know, I mean, it's it's tough, yeah, but it's that. like they're they're all, they're always mirroring back to me, and I'm 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 learning every time, man. Every time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can only imagine what it's like with kids, you know, for sure. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole mirroring happening there. It's like a deeply intense at times. So, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this. What are the keys to a healthy relationship? Yeah. 
I would say one of the biggest things that we just talked about is that commitment, yeah. right? There's that that commitment has to be there, and I think the second thing is playfulness. Mm. I think when you have that level of commitment, shit can get serious really quick, right? There's like, oh my god, your shit's coming up. Like, look at that. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my god, your shit's coming up. Look at that, right? And there's that level of understanding of like, okay, your trauma is coming from this place. We're connecting all these dots together, right? We're working on it, but. There's not a level of playfulness to where there's a, like, we can exhale. We can just take a break from healing all the fucking time, right? Always cleaning up some shit. Always purifying or moving something around. Like, how can I allow myself to be a little more playful? How can we allow ourselves to just laugh a little bit more when we're dealing with all this serious stuff, right? We're cleaning up, we're healing, we're unpacking so much shit, right? Can we allow some little playfulness in here? So I think when couples have that level of playfulness within their environment, they can actually balance both that level of deep commitment, which comes with a lot of stuff that you are able to face, then that playfulness allows it to, you know, balance that level of seriousness that comes out. And I think the last thing is, um, uh, it slipped me. I had, a, right. I had a one more thing. I had one more well, thing. Here, you can hold the thought because I, I want to jump in and, and talk yeah. about the seriousness because it's like, it's the seriousness of not even just like the unpacking and the deep personal growth work, but just like, the day-to-day stuff, man. Like yeah, when you're just yeah. like, you're going like, there's more decisions to be made. There's more responsibilities. And it's like, you know, my wife and I, you know, we, we moved from like our condo to now we have like land and there's more things to do. And it's wow. like, it's like, I'm doing this. She's doing this on top of our work that we're doing that we sometimes forget to just like have fun. Yeah, 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 it's huge. It's huge. You, you know, and like, and it's easy to kind of get caught up in in the day to day, and and sometimes take each other for granted, you know. And yeah. so it's like, how can you be mindful of that and and mix it up and find play? You know, I think playfulness yeah. is so important. Yeah, 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 it's huge. And um, and I just remember the uh, the last thing is uh compatibility, and I think compatibility, think compatibility, 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 and I something sometimes we. I know for myself, I seen compatibility as how I would define it was essentially sameness, right? Two people being kind of the same person. And I think for me, compatibility is I bring something to you that you cannot find within your time by yourself, right? And you bring something to me that I can't find within my own journey, like with myself, right? So from there, I that's where I define compatibility. And I think it's important when two people bring something to each other that the other person can't find by themselves. They can't, a space inside of themselves that they can't reach on their own, right? To where it's like, wait, 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 your worldviews, right? There are values, why, and, and what I mean by compatibility is also the values are aligned, right? So the baseline to which you build the relationship is actually um, uh, uh, mirrored, right? So what I value is connection, what I value is playfulness, right? What I value is commitment, right? Those are my values, but it also mirrors your own. And then from there, there emanates like these unique experiences that we've had in our life, right? Because my value around connection showed up differently based on my upbringing. And your values around connection showed up differently based on your upbringing. So what I mean is when those values are the same, but kind of how they manifested are completely opposite of each other, the baseline is the same, but how they showed up is different. So now we're bringing something to each other that actually refines our values, but actually expands our perspective of the world and each other. So I think that is a great place of compatibility to where it's like, you know, I could, I love anime. Like I'm a huge anime guy, but my girlfriend loves reading books. Like she's a literature girl, but our values are the same. So I show her anime movie 
I've been reading more books than I've ever had in my life. So it's like this alignment that happens is because, you know, our, our, we're both not sitting watching anime all the time. Because it's like, wait, I can do that on my own time. But it's like I'm bringing something new to the experience, to her experience that she hasn't had before, which allows her to expand her horizons and be like, wait, I've never went to this side of my value, right? I've never explored this side because my upbringing, my, you know, my surroundings, my, uh, my culture, even my environment didn't really uh, prompt me to do that. But now that you're here, I can explore this other side of it. And I think it expands each other and it brings us into new horizons, right? It brings a level of diversity um, into how we see other people and how we see each other. And I think that level of compatibility is uh, like really essential for all, I'd say like expansive relationship where two people just keep growing, keep evolving into new versions of themselves, you know? Yeah, I think I think that's great. I think it's also too in relationship is not wanting to try to, change the person it's like for you to be like no you you need to be into anime all the time yeah. and i'm not you know or vice versa it's like well no listen you can have your you know extra two hours of anime time and, yeah. and that's cool i'm gonna go do my thing as opposed yeah. to like like allowing a person to still be an individual like yeah. allowing your partner to have their own life mm-hmm. you know as, as opposed to like no we need to do everything together and like we have to like the same things all the time i think that's really yeah. important too which is something you're saying but i'm just saying i want to throw that into the mix as well that you know, um, and Joel and I, we talk about this all the time. Like if you want someone to give you the freedom, you know, to be who you are, then you have to return the favor. And that doesn't mean you're going to have the same interests, but I think value systems, foundational value systems, sharing them is so important to a long lasting relationship. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. Especially in terms of like long lasting, long term, it's like, okay, okay, okay. We're just constantly, you know, learning new things. We're constantly growing each other and, um, that ability to not try to contort them to an image that is more familiar with you is uh, definitely an art. Right. And, and you learn as you go along. Like, I mean, my wife, uh, she kind of likes like, I mean, I'm outing her, but we've talked about this, like kind of shitty TV shows. But you know what I mean? Because like she she's been in academia for so long, like she's got a PhD in, in psychology. So like that, that was her break. You know, she spent like thousands of hours of reading and writing papers. And then there were times where it's like, well, fuck all that deep shit. I just want to watch some like yeah, shit. Yeah. And yeah. in the beginning of our relationship, I was just like, how the fuck are you watching this shit? Like I like I like good art. I like real deep, dramatic, like this <laughs> thing that I that I find has like value and meaning, you know? Yeah. But now it's like, I don't, I have zero noise, zero trigger around the fact that like, if she wants to like have her time and, and like, just, you know, watch her show, it's cool. But in the beginning, I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I could be with someone who likes shitty television shows. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like I have that, that, that thought pops <laughs> in, you know, and you're like, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, you know? totally but then we also have the ones that we watch together, you know, that yeah. we both love. Yeah. Yeah. That middle ground, that middle ground. That's so important. I, my, my girlfriend is kind of like, it's, it's actually completely similar. She was in law school. She was doing all of this research and in her spare time, she'd watch the Kardashians. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I hear you, man. <laughs> I was like, there's some balancing act, I think, like, like in the psyche where you kind of need to like have, yeah. have access to both. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And this is your, this is my first time connecting it after you said that. And I was like, that makes sense why she would be attracted to this. And, um, you know, when we got together, I was just like, dang, like really Kim K like that's, that's, that's your girl. That's your girl. That's tough. That's tough for me. Yeah. Uh, but now it's been kind of like a balance. Cause I remember early on, I would like, like tweets that I knew she would see that would kind of like, 
be downing Kim K and shit. And I was like, all right, let me stop this. I'm not, I don't want to change her. I love that she enjoys Kim K. That's her vibe. That's her vibe. That's her vibe. Uh, but it is, it is an art. It is an art to kind of just, yeah. all right, you're just going to be yourself. And I'm just going to love that, that thing about yourself. Yeah, That's yeah. Totally. Difficult to be around. So, yeah. uh, you guys need kids, man. <laughs> <laughs> we got way too much time on our hands. <laughs> I was, I was, I was a big PlayStation guy before I had kids, but you know. This, I don't have kids. I don't play PlayStation. Okay, value system, man. value system. There'll be no okay. time for anime, man. Once they come along, but you know, only speak, speaking from my perspective, like that's the hardest thing in in moving into that in, in transitioning into building a family is the the second component, the playfulness that becomes so much harder to create mm-hmm. space for, and you have to work so much harder to continually bring that. And I think that's where a lot of people capitulate because all of a sudden, this entire life that you used to have these this spare time for reflection and for doing things that you enjoyed. And, you know, those breaks just dissipate in such a profound way, especially if you're looking to raise conscious kids and be with them and and nurture them and co-sleep and breastfeed and all the rest of it. It's like you forget who you are as a person, um, so so to speak. But being able to to refine um, that level of play is is super important for for, for when you take that step, for sure. Mm Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like you realize you you definitely have a responsibility to create it then. That's it's like, you know, as as a as kids, there were the spaces too. They was already there. You know, we could just yeah. and even if they weren't there, our imagination constantly generated them. Right. Even as kids, my imagination is constantly turning everything into a game, something to play with. Right. There's two there's two pillowcases on the floor, and I'm like imagining lava and I'm hopping onto the other one. It's my imagination is just constantly in a state of playfulness. And I think it's important to tap into those aspects of our imagination again mm. and bring it into our relationships, bring it into our work environment. Because, you know, when I think about my, you know, eight-year-old self, I had a very expansive imagination. But, you know, when I'm typing up an email, I would like, you know, question myself, like, what would my eight-year-old self be doing right now? And it would probably type, turn typing into email into a game, right? It would gamify and be like, oh my God, I bet I can type in 500 words like in the next 30 seconds or something like that. But it would be like, how quick can I respond to all these emails before my alarm goes off, right? That level of kind of like, okay, let's turn this, let's try to gamify all of these annoying tasks by, you know, to help me imbue some level of playfulness. So I think it definitely becomes a responsibility for ourselves to kind of create that because, you know, our environment as adults doesn't really provide that anymore, right? It just kind of snatches that away and is like, here's the seriousness. This is all that is, you know, embrace it. <laughs> What's that quote by? Was it George Bernard Shaw? Shaw? It's like, uh, uh, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that quote. Yeah, yeah. That like landed with me, man. Like just in general, like like how do you how do you obviously I don't want to be a child, but how can I keep some of that like child like that play and that wonder and that Mm -hmm. you know in my life? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it's important. Important. I think when you're creating something authentic and I guess you move more so into vocation and like your career more so reflects who you really are as opposed to going to pretend to be someone else for eight, nine hours a day. I think it helps in that because there's something that you're nurturing, something that you really care about that you can wake up and put energy towards every single day um, for sure. But bringing that to, 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 to relationships, I think is something that we need to be more conscious about um, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's so important in light of what we were talking about earlier, just 
doing such deep work on each other, doing such deep work on nervous system healing. I'm learning all these new practices. I'm learning all this new shit that's coming up faster than I can catch it. And it's like, wait, 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 how can we just like, you know, put these things down just for a moment? I think going from, I think healing to just living life a little bit, you know, is, is yep. super important. It's like, okay, can I, can we put the healing work down for just a bit? We're doing a great job. We're like better than all of our other friends. I can just put this stuff down for a minute and just like live, you know? That yeah. that's the like the the binary, the duality of control and plagues. Even with the healing, sometimes there's there can be a sense of control. Like I have to fix this yeah. and I have to do this and you need to do that and we need to do this. And it's like, let's just chill. Let's just chill and watch some anime. You know what I'm saying? We don't need, <laughs> some, we just need to be all serious. <laughs> so important. <laughs> Jeremy, bro, thank you so much for being here and sharing this conversation with us, man. Um, we're all about sharing knowledge on this podcast. So my final question for you today is, what's the most profound life-changing book you've read? Profound life-changing book I've read? I would say this book that I found when I was about like 18. It fell off a, it fell off a bookshelf. It was kind of one of those like, you know, shit you see in the movies where the, the book falls off the bookshelf and the kid picks it up and it changes his life. That was my experience with this book called Creative Meditation and Multidimensional Consciousness by Lama Govinda. And that would be my book. It's, it talks about different realms of meditation and spirituality, but um, his understanding of reality in the way from a from, from the school of thought that he was coming from is just very, because he's a Western He's a Western man that went to the Eastern world and refined his understanding of the world. And it's very, very powerful. And I've been reading it over and over and over again since I was about 18. So that would be my book. Cool, man. Thank you for sharing, bro. Um, uh, how can people find you? How can they get in contact with you and, and work with you if they so choose? Yeah. So my website is byermios.com and all of my social is under byermios. And on my website, you can find my podcasts. You can find my monthly community calls where me and a community of people come together every month to talk about topics similar to this, to relationships, to healing, to trauma, trauma work, and things like that. And then I have an ebook on how to heal from toxic relationships. And then I also have my one-on-one coaching introduction calls to where people can sign up and schedule a 30-minute call with me to get to know how I can support them in their journey. So yeah. Real quick, the the name of your website and the name of what what is what does that come from? Ermias uh, Ermias is my name in Amharic. Okay. So my name is Jeremiah, but my family's roots originate in Ethiopia. So when I found out the language there, I translated my name, and it was Ermias. And mm. um, I love it. It says uh, it means God will rise, I believe. And um, I loved it. I loved it. And I was like, wow, I wish I knew this when I was five. I would introduce myself as Ermias for the rest of my life. But that's beautiful, life. man. I'm just going to call you Ermias from now on. I hope that's okay. I need more people calling me Ermias, so that's perfect. <laughs> cool, man. I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get Yeah, it we need to hang out together. You're Asimos and Ermias, bro. Shit, dude. You're Asimos. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you come back to Jersey. Let me yeah, when I come back to Jersey, Jersey, no doubt. Yeah. You should just officially change your name to, to, to Ermias. I mean, Erasmus has his own story, too. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it another time. <laughs> oh, I've been thinking about doing that. Actually, I'm actually going to think about it. Thank you, guys. Cool. All right, guys. It's a pleasure, man. Really, man. Thanks for thanks for coming on and, and sharing some wisdom. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thank you guys so so much for having me. I really appreciate this call with you guys. Our pleasure, man. Guys, hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We're Joel and Jerry. We'll see you next time. <laughs> 
Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing I'm in a DeLorean Fast forward an evolution to a place where we can share our confusions Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with confusion